Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another post-election week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director here at Citizen Action is with us. Claire, good to have you. Thank you, Matt. Good to be here. And where is here, Claire? It's a brand new Zoom spot I see today. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am staying at my parents' place in central Wisconsin in Washera County. Awesome. Great. Good uh, post-election, shall we say, decompressing. Uh, Robert Craig is with us. Robert is the executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to see you in your Georgia Bulldogs hat. Assume you want to talk about the great state of Georgia today, but uh, and Robert, good, good to have you. My pit shirt as well, two of my three alma maters, because we need Pennsylvania and Georgia to come home to democracy. And with that, we are going to dive right into what is the, the news of, uh, <laughs> of this century, and that is this uh, historic election that... Um, we had on Tuesday, or quite frankly, we've had for the last about six months, um, election that saw historic turnout nationally. Uh, we believe at the recording of this Thursday morning uh, that uh, Joe Biden has a very good pathway to the presidency, and it looks like he will have the most votes ever for president in the United States, uh, and that is noteworthy. Turnout was astronomical uh, throughout the country in spite of a pandemic and everything that uh, all of the voters faced. Uh, And that was also seen here in Wisconsin, historic. Again, really extraordinarily high turnout. Milwaukee turned out. We'll talk more about what's going on in the suburbs and the turnout there that was critical. Um, And then, of course, Wisconsin being called for for Joe Biden yesterday. Uh, But let's... Let's, uh, I want to get each of your thoughts, your top lines on it, but Robert, I'm going to kick it to you on the other, to to just get your initial thoughts. Um, And then of course, uh, you know, it must, it is worth being stated while it will be huge if uh, Biden can win. There was a significant amount of disappointment, I think, in terms of a lack of a wave that folks had maybe expected, polling maybe had predicted. Um, And then I want to get both of your thoughts too. Obviously, also, Congress didn't go the way Dems had hoped, and we'll talk later. Uh, neither did the state legislature necessarily here in Wisconsin, although there were some notable pickups. Robert, want to get your uh, top line thoughts on the election, and then you, Claire. So, your li- our listeners know we're recording Thursday morning, so you will know more about vote counts than we do when you hear this. Uh, at this writing at this recording, uh, there's scenarios where if uh, Biden wins Pennsylvania, he wins. Or even if he loses Pennsylvania, if he wins two of the other three that are really outstanding, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, he wins, even without Pennsylvania. Uh, So that is the situation. Trump has to win Pennsylvania or he has to win uh, all uh, he has to win uh, uh, at least two of the others. And so it's, it's an uphill battle for Trump. It's not impossible. There is a lot of confidence among Democrats about what's remaining in Pennsylvania and how democratic it is. Georgia, there's less confidence how much is left, but at the rate it's come in from urban areas, uh, Trump, uh, uh, as of Thursday morning, Biden is within 16,000 votes. So it's razor thin. And then 
Nevada, people had thought is safe, but it's scary that it's all coming in at once from Clark County. Clark County ought to be slightly Democratic, but this is a weird year. Arizona, uh, uh, Trump has to continue getting 60 percent of what's left, which the Biden people say isn't going to happen. But who knows? We don't know as, as we're recording this. But odds are that Biden, that it's very hard for Trump. He has to really uh, run the table here. And with after the loss of Wisconsin and Michigan, which were devastating to his hopes. And, th- and then as far as the wave goes, there was a bi- as big a wet rave as the blue wave and the pollsters couldn't measure it. So it's not that there wasn't a blue wave. He, uh, Joe Biden is going to get more votes than any president in American history. And in terms of the popular vote, uh, he is going to have a bigger margin than, than uh, 1912 for Obama, I mean, 2012 or 2004 for Bush. And so really, this isn't close from a Democratic standpoint. It's close from the antiquated Electoral College uh, point of view, which is why the right-wing party blocked Electoral College reform in the 70s. Moderate Republicans were for it and Democrats were uh, same-day registration, everything else. They started planning for minority rule in the 70s, and they are trying to do it yet again. Claire, your, your thoughts on, on this uh, historic election? Yeah, that's not over yet, right? Uh, um, I, I, I mean, I think of a lot of things that we all know, um, but I'll say them briefly, right? Which is that it was incredibly clear that this really was a um, an election for the battle of the soul of the nation. Um, I mean, we had record high turnouts, um, not just in Wisconsin, but across the country, just astounding levels of turnout, uh, which meant that people were really, really invested in the direction that they were hoping uh, to see the country go. Um, uh, Obviously, I will never truly understand how um, so many millions of folks will look at the last four years and say, yes, please, I would like more of that. But of course, I know um, that I just don't understand that because of where my personal values are, but that there are a lot of people out there for whom, um, you know, the, um, uh, you know, consolidating power amongst, um, sort of behind conservative values and, um, you know, things like white supremacy are, are in their interest. Um I also think that it's worth um, giving a lot of credit when we talk about increased turnout to increased turnout amongst people of color, especially black Americans, especially in um, urban areas like Madison and Milwaukee and Detroit and Philadelphia and Atlanta, um, because, you know, this is a population of folks um, uh, whom the country often um, least behind in policies, um, and and yet are you know consistently the people who are saving our democracy in this in this battle for the soul of the country. Um, so I think you know when we when we pat ourselves on the back for voter turnout and we talk about all the great work that we did, um, I think it's worth explicitly saying, you know that that we we don't want to whitewash what we did, right? Um, that that a lot of this credit goes to, um, like I said, people of color, especially black Americans. And you know, in addition to Citizen Action, there's obviously lots of groups around the country and in the community who participated in that effort. Yeah, no, it is absolutely worth pointing out that it is basically a number of key cities that are delivering the vote. And by the way, Omaha, include Omaha in that. Yeah. Uh, and you know, in this completely antiquated system, um, that Robert has mentioned, that is at least one sort of um, 
nuance to the system that at least brings a little bit more <laughs> democracy to the system. But Robert, you pointed out um, two things that I want to get both of your thoughts on, and that is that there was a blue wave, but it was met by a red wave. So right, when one wave meets another, there is not necessarily a wave. But yes, your point is extremely well taken. Uh, and likewise, Claire's point that this was essentially delivered by cities, by people of color, a lot of the groups and organizations that, that work every day in those communities, and then folks uh, getting out to vote at record numbers. I mean, Milwaukee County, we had 83% turnout, and Biden got nearly 70% of that. That is, th those, are, um, those are really, really great numbers. And of course, Dane, uh, th that kind of turnout. Uh, is amazing. And then a, a number of other places, of course, uh, that were are instrumental in, in these kinds of victories. But um, want to get your comments on the idea of, you know, where does this lead? Will a lot of the say a lot of the interests and needs of cities and communities hopefully be reflected right in where we go? I want to get Robert your thoughts, some more thoughts on the election. Yeah, so as you know, I've just been just a little critical of polling and the obsession with polling on Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, they can only measure their estimate of who is voting. And those are models. And they were wrong, and they were more wrong than in 2016. So it is partly perhaps some shame among some voters to admit that they're voting for Donald Trump. But there are plenty of those, by definition, that if they're shame, they're shameless in their very public support of Donald Trump. But there's also just a they're fomenting on the far right for the last four decades, a hatred and distrust of institutions like the media, like academic institutions. And so maybe a reluctance to answer polls, regardless of whether they're proud or not proud of supporting Trump. And so we, they haven't figured out how to measure that, and maybe that'll reduce polling, which could really help us a great deal. Then there is their disinformation uh, machine, which is leading to protests that lead to a false narrative about this election being stolen, which has been debunked, but it doesn't matter if it's debunked for this audience. And if you watch Fox News, I watched Hannity and Tucker Carlson Wednesday night, uh, it's continuing that's why they could see a totally different reality than Claire described and, and our listeners see, because they have their own place where it is made up as pure propaganda. I'll add one more thing about polling, which is um, a former professor of mine at the La Follette School of Public Affairs, um, who is now actually at Georgetown and is a highly, highly respected empirical political science um, researcher, um, Pamela Hurd, um, put out on Twitter, that this point that I found really compelling. And she said that, you know, I'm a survey researcher, and I think it's time that in the United States we have a come to Jesus moment about political polling quality issues and how we disseminate that public information. And that for a relative comparison, most social science empirical work is done with surveys above a 60%, 60% response rate, but political polling has about a 6 6% response rate. There's just no way that you can have, like, in, in any other sort of um, environment where you have to analyze numbers, that would not hold up as any sort of significance, um, like significant um, conclusions that you could draw um, from those numbers, right? And then we disseminate them through places like 538, which I'm not gonna lie, I was like constantly refreshing the last month or so, um, without like people really understanding what it means to analyze data. And so it's a, it's a real problem to Robert's point. 
And with that, we got to take our first break here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We are talking about the historic election that is still ongoing as we record. Um, and Claire and Robert, we were talking about polling and uh, how polling missed. Um, and it missed, you know, not only in the presidential, but obviously um, this had impacts down ballot. There were certainly a lot more voters that Trump was able to motivate and get out. Um, and it impacted uh, the congressional races. And want to get your opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, what happened uh, in the U.S. Congress and particularly uh, the House of Representatives losing seats and unable to pick up the Senate, or at least it appears so at this time. Claire makes a great point on polling. And I would just add, because what we see in the media is the public polling. There's a massive amount of private polling, too, done for campaigns, done for candidates, done for parties, done for nonprofit groups that do election work. And that was also guiding decisions, investing huge amounts of money in races that we had no chance to win, like U.S. Senate races that, that, that ended up with 10-point margins and underinvesting in others. It, it's a dirty little secret. It needs to be understood. There's a whole industry around polling. They're expensive. They make a lot of money for consultants. There's a huge amount of people employed in this work. And if you hire a political consultant, any major campaign, they make you do polls, tracking polls, a baseline poll, all of that. And that's not going into voter contact. And I've often thought that we overspend on it. And there is a campaign industrial complex. And it has a financial interest in making sure that the obsession with polling continues. Uh, when in fact we we over poll and it it as Claire pointed out it's not as accurate as we would think. Now on to uh, the Congress, Matt. Just real quick, we lost five seats in the House, didn't lose a majority, but that's a surprise. That's because the red wave. Uh, we thought we were going to pick up ten to fourteen seats. Again, we weren't measuring the red wave, only the blue wave in polling, and then the or not all of the red wave. And then the second thing is in the U.S. Senate. Same thing, maybe some misinvestments, right, uh, in terms of where money was put in and where it wasn't. Uh, but then, in a di but there is an outside chance of taking the U.S. Senate and couldn't be more important for governing and for the future of the country. It looks like, as of this recording, that, uh, that Senator Perdue in Georgia is certainly going to fall below 50 percent. He was at 50 percent now with blue stuff still coming in. That triggers a runoff in Georgia. What you end up having is two runoffs in Georgia in January for control of the U.S. Senate. That is a that is a virtual certainty right now. And so you're going to have another. Uh, and the question is, when Trump is lost and he's leaving the scene and he can't turn out the vote in the same way, whether or not it becomes more winnable in Georgia, as Georgia may well go to Biden if it's a question of how many votes are left and it's razor thin margin at this recording. Claire, uh, any thoughts on the congressional situation and particularly like how this may impact what, let's just say, P President Biden could potentially maybe even do around health care, right? And what potentially is uh, on the table, it, especially given what happened in the Senate. I, while we lost some seats in the House, it certainly doesn't impact the ability to move an agenda necessarily. Uh, any thoughts you might have about the, the, what happened in Congress? 
I certainly, um, Democrats had, including myself, high hopes for being able to flip um, a couple Senate seats, in particular um, Ernst in Iowa and Collins in Maine. Um, and that didn't pan out, uh, which is, of course, um, a big disappointment. Um, you know, we did flip a seat in the Senate in Colorado, which is great, um, but it it doesn't look like you know we'll get to 51 seats in the in the U.S. Senate, um, at least as of this recording. I think it looks unlikely. Um, you know, there's still a runoff in Georgia, so you know who knows. Um, but I think a lot of our big hopes for um, strong healthcare reform, and and I will say that Joe Biden's healthcare reform plan got significantly stronger in the general election than it was in the primary, especially in consultation with some progressives like Bernie Sanders and Pramila Jayapal. Um, that, you know, a lot of our hopes on, on adopting that plan um, hinged on having control or having Democrats leadership in uh, the Senate. So, um, you know, certainly having Mitch McConnell still there as the leader is, is going to make it much more difficult to pass legislation. Um, but I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I want to focus on, you know, with the president in, we're not going to be hopefully playing as much defensive as we would otherwise have to be. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll be able to make some incremental changes still. Robert, your thoughts, uh, particularly on yeah. potential around healthcare. Look, I, I don't think, I, I think we can flip your Debbie Downer into a whatever the alter. I won't. I don't know. It's probably what the what the reverse is, you know, a Susie Upper or something. But uh, anyway, uh, I had to make something up. It is very important and very problematic because we have opposing forces here. We have. A, 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 a rising progressive wing of the party that is not quite a majority yet, but is in going in that direction, which cannot just be abandoned. And you have a Mitch McConnell-led Senate, unless we can pull off two uh, runoff elections in Georgia in January, it's likely two, it's at least one, but one wouldn't be for control, two would be, with uh, Vice President Harris uh, casting a tie votes in that scenario. Uh, but he will block Biden and try to destroy his administration at every turn, and he has a caucus that will do it. And as a result, we will have gridlock during a pandemic and during uh, a time when there is tremendous need for a massive climate transition, a, magic, a, a giant New Deal response to the depression-like conditions. For half the country, the bottom 50% of incomes doing terribly, the top 50% better, and the higher up in income scale, the better you're doing. If you're a billionaire, you're doing great in the pandemic. Uh, and then healthcare, which is part of the pandemic, but, but, but a demand, they will, it will be impossible to get those through a Republican Senate. And, but there are a lot of vulnerable Republican senators in two years. And so you, you have to, I think, put forward the real solutions, which has been the major problem with Democrats in Wisconsin, not framing it up by putting forward what we ought to should be doing, but just saying we're not going to offer it because they won't support it kind of talk. Uh, and there is a real problem that there are a lot of pundits on TV already saying Biden needs to go to the center. Now, you don't see the Republicans abandoning their base. You do not abandon your base where the energy is that loyally elected Joe Biden. It needs to be a coalition between moderate Democrats and progressive Democrats, and the halfway Biden and Sanders found on policy must be the policy agenda, and the administration, the officials, must reflect that, 
the Obama administration was so staffed with the Saudi moderates, it was incapable of strong progressive policy. That would be a disaster in, in, the, in, in the 2020s. Yeah, I I'm really appreciate both of your thoughts. And look, I think it is absolutely critical that there be a left flank on healthcare, on a number of policies, climate. Um, the realities that y'all laid out as it relates to the Senate uh, and McConnell are all real, and Biden will go and do that work. The only way that even happens is if there's an active left that is pushing the values and the vision that Biden will negotiate over even. And we need to start to set up the next election, as Robert said. We are going to go through redistricting. There will be very different districts. Hopefully, there will be different districts, potentially. And we need to start to lay out a vision that starts to appeal to people and speaks to some core values. This was, Biden's a transitional presidential candidate and had the great fortune for him of having Trump as the opponent and having, as Claire brought up, people of color fired up, pissed off, right? And a lot of people ready to go out and vote this guy out. But they were not voting and saying that they wanted a return to normalcy. They want change and they want a vision. And we need to start making sure we have candidates the next cycle who can articulate that. And, and there needs to be an economic message to people. This, this was almost devoid. And uh, Trump is constantly taking advantage of the fact that we still don't have a solid economic message that says we're going to take some of the resources right now that are, you know, just being given away to corporations and the wealthy uh, in order to redistribute back to our rural communities, our small towns, our cities, you know, into our communities that need investments in public education, public health, all the things we need to take on COVID and, you know, uh, come out of this stronger. And so I think that's the call, right? Like we need to address what the failings are, or at least where, where, we, where we have to speak better to, 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 to everyone, whether you're a working class person in the city or you, whether you're a working class, class person in Prairie to Shame. And stop like confusing that they're different. They're the same and we need an agenda that appeals to both of them or we will, be, we will squander any chance at a, at a majority. But with that, we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the election. And before we go, we will talk about COVID. It is, it, it's just heartbreaking where we're headed. You're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Again, want to encourage everyone uh, to consider joining our organizing cooperatives uh, here at Citizen Action. We'll have a link to how you can join. They were instrumental in contacting thousands of voters this election cycle, and I want to thank all the volunteers we did I believe nearly 500 FTE shifts in our volunteer program and just shout out to everyone. It is a part of what created the movement on our side. Robert, wanted to go back to you for some more thoughts on the election uh, here, both nationally, but also uh, here in Wisconsin as it relates to looking forward. Well, this isn't a time to be uh, Debbie Downer, as uh, Claire said. This is the time for inspiration mobilization. We've built 
this amazing social movement. Young people on the streets have put racial justice and a redress of 400 years of grievance of, 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 of grievance and, and uh, oppression on the table. Uh, and we need to build and with this administration at the federal level, and we need to push the Democrats at the state level to be much bolder and also adopt the more progressive spirit that is taking over the Democratic Party. This is becoming the party of reform again. And so we need to mobilize because if we expect Biden to give up some of these establishment connections, big lobby interests that fund campaigns, we need to replace that with people power. And so when he does do something good, when he does something like not Medicare for all, but the foundational pieces of it is he's agreed to with Bernie Sanders and, Pramila, and Representative Pramila Jayapal, then we need to mobilize for it or we won't beat the insurance companies and the drug companies and the hospital industry, for example. And, at the, and it goes on and on. And we may have to mobilize massively to aid Georgia in two U.S. Senate uh, races if we have two runoffs, which could give us the power to actually do these things in the next two years. We got to realize whether Trump is here or not, that this party, the modern right wing Republican Party, is bent on destroying the opposition period. They will undermine the Biden administration. They will undermine Evers because they want his office in two years, as they have been doing. Watch Voss flip on doing something on the pandemic now that he's been reelected. Remember, he flip-flopped and said we, we should do more. Watch that happen. And of course, we all know there's a threat on redistricting. They want to go and take the 2010 election and use it not only to rig the teens, but the 2020s as well, based on one wave election on their part. And so we're going to need to mobilize. We're going to need to, and we need to remember all of our candidates who lost and came close, number of them should run again. And if they don't, someone else should, because we built something. And there was great organizing done by Citizen Action, but a lot of our allies and we need to continue to build that up. We are building active people and leaders that can take back Wisconsin and take back uh, the United States, and it needs to happen. So this is a time for, it's a long war. It'll seem like Trump is Freddy Krueger because he won't go away even after you think at the end of the movie. He'll probably go into opposition unlike any president uh, since Herbert Hoover, and he was more decorous about it. And he probably, if he's still alive, will challenge Biden or the Democrats for the presidency again in four years. And we'll still leave this party and we'll be out there saying crazy things um, all the time. So we need to, we need to keep fighting. It, we, we won a battle, hopefully, but there's still a war. I appreciate those comments. I, I need to, I want to address and talk specifically about what happened in the Wisconsin state legislature, particularly uh, the Senate, obviously the Senate and the assembly. Um, Cause I worked extensively on that. I know everybody in this organization did tons of different groups. And so it feels disappointing because we had hoped maybe that we could break the gerrymander and a lot more, uh, especially assembly seats. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it's pretty clear. And I think folks who watched the movie that uh, we showed, uh, you got to get to about 54, 50, really 55% at the top of the ticket uh, to start to break a number of these gerrymanders. And so it was absolutely heartbreaking to see what happened to Emily Segrist. Um, she should have won. She's an amazing person. Uh, she ran for the second time and to lose by one and a half 
is just heartbreaking. And I feel for her and, you know, Wisconsin loses when someone like her doesn't end up in the assembly. She's an amazing person and shares the values uh, that we care about on healthcare, on climate, all of the, those things. Um, and so I hope, I hope she runs a third time. I believe that seat is so close and so ready. And I just wish uh, there could have been a little more done to help win that seat. But on the upside, right? Like, she moved that seat to one and a half points. I think she was eight or nine points down just two years ago. Deb and Draca, huge win. And in, in the North Shore, Sarah Rodriguez uh, takes the seat just south of Robin Vining, who then won by eight points, right? So real differences are happening in the suburbs uh, in spite of some close losses. Jacob Malinowski, we had him on the podcast, lost by three and a half points. So these, there's real movement happening. That district was not even winnable. Um, but it is disappointing um, to have close defeats. Also, Chris, Chris Marion, heartbreaking again, four points. Again, when I spoke about what we needed to do to break gerrymanders, Kristen Lairley, four points, right? Some real heartbreaking close losses um, that I know a lot of folks had hoped. And uh, my heart goes out to all of those candidates. They ran amazing campaigns. And we're gonna win more of those seats. And a number of more seats will come in play after redistricting, um, even if redistricting doesn't go perfectly. Uh, but I just wanted to shout out just, I mean, and I can't even mention all of the candidates that ran. And um, unfortunately, um, you know, our highest aspirations didn't happen, but they were a part of helping Biden win. Amazing amounts of communication that those campaigns all did. And I just um, wanted to note that. Um, so shout out to the people who were able to win. Um, but a uh, lot of work ahead and we will continue to fight to contest in these areas and continue to move Wisconsin in a progressive uh, direction. Before we switch over and stop talking about the election, one other thing I want to get people's comments on is this judge who ordered the United States Postal Service and, uh, to go in and for the inspectors to essentially do a search of undelivered ballots uh, throughout a number of, uh, in battleground states for sure, and that this was essentially disregarded. This is, the judges said he's shocked and, is, but like, Robert, Claire, this is, this is, uh, this I think lays bare why it's important to have a Biden administration that this would be how an actual civil service department like the Postal Service could actually respond so politically. Robert, Claire, your thoughts. Yeah, I just say all, we're not going to talk about all the conspiracies that are flying on Democrats stealing the election. Remember, this kind of Republican they project. So they are the ones trying to uh, interfere in the election. The Postal Service uh, fiasco was part of it. And it looks like they uh, ignored a federal order from a federal judge to go into a sweep for these ballots in, in key cities where delivery was slow. and. It's federal offenses here we're talking about. We'll see what kind of investigations ever ensue. But the, it's shocking. And the, everything else that Rudy Giuliani is saying and the, the campaign manager, Bill Steffian, for Trump is saying, it's really made up. But And right under our nose is the real conspiracy to try to, to grab this election by unfair means. I would 
really uh, excited to hear that judicial order because it never crossed my mind that I wouldn't be listened to because I still sometimes I'm super uh, um, uh, Susie Upper to use Robert's um, newly coined name about the rule of law and thinking that like, oh, people are just going to do what the judge says. And, um, you know, we in Wisconsin have been through situations where a bunch of ballots just appear. And, you know, even if those ballots are not you know, votes for candidates that we would support. Like we still on like a fundamental level believe that every vote should be counted and it's just the right thing. And yeah, it stinks if they were found in a bin or stuck behind a copier or whatever, as long as they're legitimate, they should be counted. And um, <clears throat> we've been through that in Wisconsin where that happens and it's super frustrating. And so I was like, yeah, let's, let's do the sweep. Let's not have any day after the election surprises like with Kloppenberg. Let's count these now. Um, and so to not have that happen, which is sort of um, mind boggling for me. Um, so I hope that it's, uh, I hope it's something that we all pay attention to and, and watch. What, what. Yeah, thank you, Susie, for that. Uh, we'll have to, we'll have to keep the Susie Uppers corner uh, <laughs> future broadcasts. Let, let, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. let, let me just say, in our world, because we have two worlds now, a judge gives you an order, you follow it. And, and yeah. we have this that world over there where Fox News is going to get up there, the, the, the evening personalities, and going to justify it and say you should ignore those left-wing judges. I don't even know if this was a left-wing judge. It, you, you follow an order from a judge. It's scary. And did the order come from the top? That's, I, I think Robert, we, it's a, not a left-wing judge. It's a socialist judge, okay? Let's get that clear. <laughs> Oh, yes. No, uh, exactly. Uh, but with that, though, we're, we're going to have to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. When we come back, we are going to talk, uh, talk a little bit about COVID. Uh, we are continuing to test at historic rates. Uh, and so, Claire, when we come back, I want to get your thoughts. This is the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. So, Claire, oh, you know, three segments without talking about COVID directly. Um, it was certainly a subtext, a major part of the election. But um, wow, yesterday, post-election day, we again tested here in Wisconsin, both record rates. We're continuing to almost every day, seems like deaths, 50 or more. And nationally, we broke 100,000 positive tests yesterday. That would be Wednesday. Um, just your thoughts on the latest and where we're at. And also, if you have any thoughts about like where we may be able to go that might look differently under a Biden administration uh, to actually tackle COVID. Yeah, Wisconsin is not doing great. Um, it's, it's certainly a problem in the uh, all across the country. Like you said, we broke 103,000 new cases this week. Um, in in Wisconsin, that looks like uh, the fourth, which I think was that Wednesday. I have no concept of time anymore. Wednesday, the fourth, um, Wisconsin hit almost six thousand new cases, so fifty nine hundred new cases and um, two thousand deaths um, total by by that day. Um, so you know, we've in Wisconsin, we've crossed the two uh, two thousand deaths mark which is um, just devastating. Um, I, I think a lot of us sort of live in fear that, um, you know, someone in our family will um, be amongst that increasingly climbing number in the coming months. 
Um, I, <clears throat> I certainly um, hope that under a Biden administration, there will be an increased willingness um, from the administration to use their executive powers to um, do some things that could that could curb the spread of the of the virus, um, and that hopefully could guarantee that uh, things like treatments and vaccines. Uh, when they become available, are um, easily and quickly, you know, and safely manufactured and distributed to folks um, at a cost that uh, a price that everybody can afford. Um, hopefully, no cost to consumers. Um, so I think that there just the range of possibilities of of things that Biden would do better to control this pandemic over Trump is it, it feels almost unlimited, right? Like there's just, just there's so much more that we could be doing that we're not. Yeah. Robert, your thoughts? Well, look, the response to the pandemic has been a joke and it's been, uh, it's, it's been mass murder. At least 100,000 extra deaths in the United States just uh, with a moderate estimate. And uh, things will get better. Having a functioning CDC will help because we'll get actual information as to what is and is not safe. Let's say you still have a Republican Senate if I think the President Biden should not only go on TV and continually repeat what people need to be doing, flanked by Anthony Fauci and other Dr. Burks and other experts, uh, but I think he should demand orally, he can't mandate it without legislation, that all the big broadcast companies just made a killing in the election in terms of their amount of profit uh, will run for free in prime time, public service ads produced by CDC explaining over and over again how dangerous COVID is and what you need to do to avoid it. And it's getting dire in Wisconsin. We are, we, we're going to have severe staffing shortages. Our healthcare professionals are being burned out. It's horrible. Uh, Andrea Palm, the, sec the secretary designate, we may have that at the federal level. Maybe McConnell will uh, confirm no cabinet members for Joe Biden if he's if he's still majority leader. Uh, but she um, not not given to strong words, quite frankly. We should not be having contact with other human beings that we do not live with. Hard stop. Okay, is the state doing that? Are most people doing that? We have friends, mutual acquaintances. We all know that have been getting together. You know, not dangerously, not big parties, but with people they don't live with. That's how bad it is. And so we really need to all, and I think uh, we never shut down like Europe did. Europe is spiking too because they took the, uh, the gas off the pedal. Uh, President Biden, I think, will use every kind of power he has, both his authority, his bully pulpit, and everything else to uh, protect people. But we're going to need ma a massive public health uh, uh, intervention and a massive economic New Deal style rescue of half of the population because everyone below, uh, roughly below 50% of the income scale is in a depression. And so when we've got to put forward real plans, but yes, it, we could hardly be doing worse as far as the public response to this, thanks to not just Trump, but the modern virulent of radical right uh, conservative that dominates the Republican Party and the public opinion it's built for 40 years that will believe anything that they tell them. So one, uh, one actually 
fascinating thing that I'd be curious to get your comments on um, is let's just say, and again, this is the transition of Trump. Um, Trump has threatened that he might fire Anthony Fauci. There's nothing that doesn't mean we may not in the next 24, 48 hours uh, see him make actions like that. Is this something that y'all think is possible? Like, you know, thoughts on that and any other parts, just any other thoughts before we uh, get away on, on the transition of Trump, if he, as we expect, loses and how this, how this, uh, how, how we actually make a successful transition, especially for COVID, right? Like, I think it's very possible he could just fire Fauci in the next 24 hours. Well, I think he may, but assuming he doesn't, he's not Freddy Krueger and he doesn't get three of the four races, including Pennsylvania somehow, uh, and is not president, all bets are off as to what he'll do. He said he'd uh, fire Fauci after the election. I think we should take him at his word, but Biden can hire him back. Uh, Fauci may have more influence uh, released from government service for temporarily than he does locked up there, to be honest. Uh, but uh, I, I, we got to get ready and keep our wits about us during this transition. This is going to be a far more dangerous transition than even the transition from Hoover to FDR, which was very perilous, almost crashed the entire economy because Hoover wouldn't do anything. Yeah, I just want to underscore on the COVID situation, just how bad it is um, and just where we're at at critical capacity in our hospitals. Um, I know, I just want to read a, a, a post from a nurse who works in Racine. Um, and this was over the weekend who she said, we're now over double our, our capacity. We're opening a third unit COVID unit. In addition to another ICU, the RNs are getting pulled from their regular units, which are also at full capacity to work in the COVID units, which is leaving critically ill patients on those regular units with less oversight. The ER is full. We're using hallway beds and boarding patients who are admitted but have nowhere to go. In short, it's a complete clusterfuck of a shit show right now. No one is getting the level of care they deserve because we're out of resources, we're out of nurses, and we're out of time. Healthcare workers are drowning. They guilt us into coming in during what little time we have off, so there's no chance to recover. Folks, we got to stop. We got to stop and we got to respect healthcare workers and we got to start following what they're telling us to do. And I'm hoping that this uh, new administration and uh, this different approach will lead to a different environment where people will start wearing masks. We will actually get the level of testing we need. We haven't even talked about this, Claire. The, the lines for the testing are outrageously long, not only here in Wisconsin, but across the country. We need to, we need to address this and start actually tackling this or we will never be able to <laughs> open up our economy. Uh, Claire, any final thoughts that you have uh, around COVID and, and looking forward? Uh, just that I I hope that um, <clears throat> you know our legislature, which has done nothing so far, um, that they I'm, I'm going to still be I'm going to be a Susie upper. I'm going to be optimistic. I I just have to have to believe that at some point um, that our legislature will look at numbers like six thousand um, new cases a day and two thousand deaths and and just realize that the election's over, it is it is unconscionable that they can allow this to continue. Um, 
we need to do something here in the state. What you read is it is just so poignant. Um, it's it's hard to hear that and not um, not have a pull on your heartstrings. Um, so I hope that our legislature legislators are listening, um, and we'll get back to work. Yeah, these we got just we've got to start to really listen and hear this. I mean, these folks have been at it now for we're we're, we're at what eight months of this and. Um, <laughs> We're, we're at our seams, and we've talked about this on the last show in terms of what the numbers are. So, folks, let's, let's, uh, let's mask up and do a bunch of other things. But uh, before we go, I do want to let our listeners know uh, we are going to be having a online fundraiser that will uh, for Citizen Action on uh, Wednesday, November 18th. Uh, Tammy Baldwin, Senator Tammy Baldwin, will be on that, along with Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. Hope you can get on. It'll start at 6 p.m. again, Wednesday, November 18th. We'll talk more about it's that a next victory. week. It's a victory party. We, we, Wisconsin played a vital role in defeating Donald Trump, it certainly looks like. And with that, though, we got to go. We're late here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. We appreciate everyone for listening, and we want to thank our producer, Brian Wildrich, who makes the show happen every week. We'll see you next week.